Come into God's presence with singing. Enter into God's courts with praise. Let us worship the Lord our God.
heard the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Lord God, creator of all that is and ever will be, we gather together this Lord's Day to worship you in spirit and in truth. You are a great and awesome God, and we love you and adore you. Therefore, we call upon your holy name to pour out your spirit upon us and to bless our worship this morning. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. We greet one another in the name of Jesus Christ, and because that is the manner in which we greet one another, it means that there are no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to our word of welcome. All are welcome in Christ's house, and therefore all are welcome here. We are glad to gather in worship, whether here in the sanctuary or those worshiping in other locations. We hope that we'll have the opportunity to greet one another in Christ at the conclusion of this service at a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a very short ramp. There you will find some light refreshments, but again, most importantly, the opportunity for us to greet one another and to make more personal our connections with one another. I'd like to highlight a few things <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> from your announcements portion of your bulletin for your particular attention in the weeks to come. The first is to note that our 20s and 30s group, our T&T group, will have their monthly brunch next week. And I have noted that if you are able to drive, Annie Lecluse would particularly like to hear from you. I'm not quite sure where you're going, but apparently it's more than walking distance from here. So if you'd like to RSVP for that, reach out to Annie Lecluse, particularly if you can drive. She'd love to hear from you. Our ongoing Linton Drive is, is still in, in progress. You will see that we have receptacles here on the side of the sanctuary. At the time of the offering, those will come out to in front of the in front of the communion table, and you are invited to bring your offerings for our mission partners forward and to place them in the receptacles here at the front of the church. And as I have been encouraging each of you throughout this season of Lent, not to come to the house of the Lord empty-handed. Come with something to share with someone who is less fortunate than ourselves. There are a number of other opportunities, a number of meetings noted for your usage in the announcements portion of the bulletin, but at this point in our service, I'd like to call on Andrew Sin with a word about this afternoon's organ concert. Good morning, everyone. Um, I want to uh, make a special invitation to you for the concert this afternoon, uh, which will be given by Doug Cleveland, who is one of the uh, most highly acclaimed organists in the country. Um, an interesting note, um, was that for a while, Doug taught at Northwestern uh, University in Evanston, which is where I grew up, um, and he actually uh, helped start an organ competition at the church where my father was the pastor. 
And in all of that time, we never crossed paths. And this is my first chance getting to know him, um, which I've greatly enjoyed. And I've also been able to um, get to know Pamela Decker, who composed the, uh, the massive uh, meat and potatoes piece um, that's on the program this afternoon. Um, they're both here. Um, and as part of the concert, she is going to give um, some commentary on that piece, uh, but things to listen for, how it was conceived, um, et cetera. And uh, I, I really, this is more than a concert. It's, it's part of our worshiping life together, and it should be uh, considered part of um, our journey towards Easter, part of our Lenten and Holy Week experience. And I do um, commend uh, this afternoon's program to you, and I hope to see all of you there at 4 p.m. Thank you. With all of these things noted, let us continue our worship with our confession of sin. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, let us confess our sins to Jesus Christ, our Advocate, using the prayer of confession in our bulletin, then silently following. Let us pray. Holy God, you have called us by name. We belong to you. In our baptism, you have sealed us as your own. Though we go through the deep waters, they will not overwhelm us. Though we walk through fire, it does not consume us. Your claim on our lives is total, complete. Yet we live at times as though there were parts of our life that do not belong to you, as though there are aspects of our being that are outside of your care. Forgive us, we pray. Restore to us the knowledge that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by your own hand for your own good purposes. Hear our prayers, O Lord.
brothers and sisters, our Lord assures us that if we return to the Lord, God will have mercy on us and will abundantly pardon us. Therefore, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
first scripture lesson is taken from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, beginning with verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that do not know, and nations do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This ends the first reading. The second reading is found in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. The first letter, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, 
and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Here ends the second reading. Our gospel lesson, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> allergies. Our gospel lesson is taken from the 13th chapter of John, uh, excuse me, of Luke's gospel narrative. We read there from verse 1 to verse 9. Listen for the word of God. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Were those eighteen who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I am married to a gardener. For those of you who are also married to gardeners, you know there is a whole world wrapped up in that sentence. In late winter, all of the sun-facing windowsills of our house are covered in seed starts. Then, every spring, on a fine day, I will step out the back door into the yard and the smell will nearly knock me off my feet. First, there comes the seaweed fertilizer. Then after that, later, the bokashi fertilizer will come into play. What are you asking is bokashi fertilizer? Well, I'm glad you asked. It is the liquid that comes about as the result of the fermentation of household scraps. I will just let you imagine for a second what that does for beagles. I get periodic reports on the condition of the mulch. Every Friday night is given over to watching Gardener's World on the BBC, a show that the New York Times has credited with getting an entire segment of the population through the worst of the pandemic. And then when the produce of the garden finally does begin to come in, because it is all organic and homegrown, I've noticed that there develops a fine sheen of soil across most of the kitchen countertops, so much so that I've learned simply to preemptively wipe everything down before putting food on the countertops, lest I absorb some stray humus in the preparation. But then there is that moment that heavenly moment when the first sun-ripened tomato comes off the vine and it is all worth it. And then later on in August, the kitchen is overrun with tomatoes and that's when the roasting and the freezing begin. And what I've observed from seeing all of this gardening is that gardening is hard work. In the Gospels, Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But that's not the same thing as saying his yoke is nothing and his burden is nil. What it is to say is that Jesus does all the heavy lifting, but this is key. Work remains for you and me. So let us turn to our parable. A parable, you recall, is a story. Jesus frequently taught in stories, and at times his stories can be frustratingly obtuse, with even his own disciples struggling to understand them. Occasionally, they are, they are so bemused by what Jesus has taught them in a story that they will ask him for an interpretation to tell them what the parable meant. But 
In all likelihood, those are the moments when the early church found the very same parables so incredibly confusing, so confounding in their understanding that they inserted an interpretation into the text to make it easier for those reading the Gospels to follow along with the parables. The disciples, and perhaps we ourselves, might sometimes wish that Jesus would just speak plainly. I mean, just tell us what he wants. Give us a shortcut to understanding. And yet, Jesus himself seems perfectly happy to let the parables stand on their own. So much so that when I encounter the parables of Jesus, I am often reminded of a poem by Billy Collins, Introduction to Poetry. Maybe some of you know it. He writes, I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light as if it is a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out, or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is to tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They began beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. Now, don't we often do that with the parables? Try to torture meaning out of them rather than skimming across the surface, listening for what Jesus would say for us in this moment to you particularly in this exact moment. The thing about parables is we have to do some work when we encounter them. There's not a secret decoder ring to the parables of Jesus. We have to do the work of seeing ourselves in them. And that's important because what I see may not be what you see. And what you see may not be what I see, and we can be instructed one to the other in the sharing of what we encounter in the parables of Jesus if we will let them speak to our particularity, to our own circumstances. Because in seeking to see ourselves in the parable, we might actually see ourselves. The parable of the fig tree appears in Mark and Matthew's gospel as well, but in their versions of the story, it's just a tree that gets cursed. There's no redemption for the fig tree. Jesus walks by one day, the figs aren't there where he expects them to be, so he applies a little divine roundup to the tree, and later, as the disciples pass by again, the tree is dead as a doornail, not a leaf in sight. And there's a strong implication that those practices which do not bear fruit are the next to go, so watch out. But here in Luke, it's a much more hopeful story. Because in Luke's gospel, 
The parable of the fig tree holds forth the possibility of repentance. I know I've told you before that the Hebrew and the Greek words for repentance are the same. They translate the same. They mean, literally, to turn around. There are moments when it is insanity to keep going in the same direction. Some years ago, when I was newly your pastor here at First Church, there was a weekend when our country experienced <clears throat> excuse me, two mass shootings in a 24-hour period. When I stood up to preach the following Sunday, everything that I had prepared seemed inadequate to the moment. So I did that thing that I very rarely do. I deviated from the script. Well, now that you know me a whole lot better than you did then, you probably gathered that this is for your protection, not for mine. I can do this for hours. So if we want to be done in 20 minutes, I put it down on paper to make it easy for us to stay on track. But that day I deviated from the script. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have anything profound to add to that moment. Because what can one say to ongoing tragedies that just happen over and over and over again? What word can we possibly say to that? So I said, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that the church must not be silent on these tragedies. We must find something we can do. Now, First Church had always had a witness in the face of gun violence. For years, First Church had already engaged in the practice of promoting gun safety and speaking out on behalf of victims. But to renew that effort, we formed a gun violence prevention task force. The task force began meeting, began gathering resources from other organizations, and we fairly quickly established that going after lawful gun ownership was not a fruitful path to follow for a variety of reasons, but mostly because we wanted to have an inclusive approach to different viewpoints. So we began wondering what a conversation about gun safety might look like. And as our conversations continued now by Zoom through the pandemic, uh, when Cindy Jarvis became the leader of our task force, we began exploring how our church could participate, as God calls us to, in the healing of the world, in the repair of the world. And so this month, our congregation is hosting an exhibition of the Souls Shot Portrait Project, which you will find in Old Buttonwood Hall where you may linger over each of the portraits that have been rendered, read about them, and commune with those whose lives have been lost to gun violence. The Soul Shot Portrait Project seeks to provide an experience of healing to the families of victims of gun violence. Their mission is to pair fine artists with the family members of victims who then tell them about their loved ones, their lives, what made them unique, what made them beloved. And then the collaboration yields a portrait. About their work, they say this, we hope that this project will continue to bring some joy and peace to the families and friends of victims, and by bringing attention to the scourge of gun violence in this way, be a call of act to action 
to all who see them. Now, does fine art solve the problem of the proliferation of guns in American culture, a proliferation that endangers our community, endangers our law enforcement? Probably not in the long, in the short term. No. But what I see is the cultivation of figs. Luke Timothy Johnson of the Candler School of Theology writes, In Luke, it is a parable that clearly has the function of interpreting this section of the narrative. The fig tree is not summarily cut down. The comfort to Jesus' listeners is that the prophet is still on his way to the city. There is still time to respond. The warning is that if they do not, they will surely be cut off. There are moments when it is insanity to keep going in the same direction. There are moments when repentance calls us to turn around in our tracks, to choose a new way of being in the world, to choose a way of being that brings us into new relationship, that offers us the possibility to participate in the redemption of the world, to choose mercy, to choose the way of Jesus Christ. A while back, I encountered a story that is told that during the Korean War, a young Korean student at the University of Pennsylvania was going to the mailbox when he was attacked by a gang of teenage boys who beat him with their shoes and their fists and left him in the gutter to die. So our city, Philadelphia, our city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, was horrified that such a thing could happen in our city. And the city, it is said, cried out for vengeance. And the prosecutor secured permission to try the boys as adults, which could have resulted in the death penalty. But then a letter arrived from Korea signed by the young man's parents and relatives. It read in part, Our family has met together, and we have decided to petition that the most generous treatment possible within the laws of your government be given to those who have committed this criminal action. In order to give evidence of our sincere hope contained in this petition, we have decided to save money to start a fund to be used for the religious, educational, vocational, and social guidance of the boys when they are released. We have dared to express our hope with the spirit received from the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. That is the cultivation of figs. There are moments when things can turn. Things can turn on a portrait. Things can turn on a letter. But the truth of the gospel is that things can change. 
our past does not have to define our future. But it takes work. Gardening takes work. The cultivation of figs takes work. On the website, The Forgiveness Project, Arno Michaelis recounts his past as a white supremacist and his journey out of white supremacy. He writes of a time when he was so completely wrapped up in his racial identity that the revelation from his mother that he is one-sixteenth Indian caused him to cut his own wrists. He writes of beating people up for no reason other than the color of their skin or their sexual orientation. He writes, I radiated hostility, especially toward anyone with a skin complexion darker than mine. I had a swastika tattooed on the middle finger of my right hand. One time I was greeted by a black lady at a McDonald's cash register with a smile as warm and unconditional as the sun. She noticed the swastika tattoo on my finger and she said, you're a better person than that. I know that's not who you are. Powerless against such compassion, I fled from her steady smile and authentic presence, never to return to that McDonald's again. He goes on to say, It wasn't until <clears throat> I became a single parent at age 24 that I began to distance myself from the movement. I'd lost a number of friends to either prison or violent death by now, and it started to occur to me that if I didn't change my ways, then street violence would take me from my daughter too. And once I began to distance myself from the constant reinforcement of violence and hatred, suddenly it began to make much less sense to me. Pardeep Kaleka lost his father in a mass shooting at the Sikh temple of Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Seeking to understand how it could have happened, he reached out to Arno Michaelis. Arno was able to help me understand the behavior and fears of the shooter. He spoke about the self-destructive nature of hate and the painful consequences of identifying with the white supremacist ideology. Since Arno and I met, we've become as close as brothers, waging peace together to honor my father and all lives lost in the wake of violence. Through the organization we've created together, Serve to Unite, children of all ethnicities, from the inner city to the suburbs, are coming together to cherish each other as human beings and to assume the identity of peacemakers in their schools and in their communities. Finally, finally, figs at the last. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
let us now say what we believe using the words of the great creed of the faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, we have all heard Jesus' words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So let us now return to God a portion of what the Lord has already given to us in abundance.
as you entered the sanctuary, if you came in through the Walnut Street doors, you passed 122 purple ribbons affixed to the front rails. Each of those purple ribbons represent a soul lost to gun violence this year as of yesterday. The number has surely gone up overnight. It is so easy, as Cindy reminded us last week, for the statistics, for the figures to become overwhelming, to obscure the humanity of those souls lost to gun violence. Hanging in Old Buttonwood Hall, you will find 32 portraits that seek to turn those statistics back to humankind, to remind us who is lost and how they are lost, that we might recover a bit of our humanity in moving beyond statistics to understanding the depth of the hurt in our community. So I invite you during this month to do, as one of our state senators said when the exhibition was removed from the state capitol in Harrisburg, to take a moment to commune with these portraits, to be reminded that they represent someone who was beloved, a father, a daughter, a son, a child, a wife, a husband, very real humans lost to gun violence. And so as we enter into this month of reflection over the issues of gun violence in our own city, I invite you to join me in a litany of dedication for this exhibition, which you'll find on the reverse side of the flyer. Let us join together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. Eternal God, you call us to be agents of reconciliation, but how can we be reconciled while the blood of our brothers and sisters is crying out to us from our city streets? Holy God, you have blessed those who are peacemakers in the world, but how can we make peace when fear and distrust continue to breed violence? Loving God, you send us into a hurting world to bear witness to your love. How can we show forth your love when our hearts are overwhelmed by the wounds of your hurting children? Compassionate God, in your mercy, give us the courage to do what we can. The power of your Spirit, may we be moved to compassion and action by the lives of the souls we see. God of justice, you call us to offer ourselves in service of justice. Though the arc of history is long, we commit ourselves to bending it toward justice for the sake of those who suffer. God of all our lives, there are problems that seem always to be with us. Violence, and gun violence in particular, are a scourge upon our city, on its neighborhoods and communities. O oh God, whose love never gives up on us, help this community of faith to persevere as we seek to bring your shalom to the world in which we live. 
the world that you love so much. Bless this exhibition, that it may be a means of grace to all who come. May it open our hearts. May it comfort the grieving. May it compel us to ask of ourselves, what can we do? Holy God, in your mercy, may it be so. Amen. Let us pray. O holy God, as the psalmist says, we will trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever, and we will thank you forever because of what you have done. So in the presence of the faithful, we will proclaim your name, for it is good. Hear first our prayers for our planet Earth. You, O God, created our world and all that is within her, the rocks and trees, the skies and seas, the animals, domestic and wild, that also call Earth home, the vegetation, plants yielding seed that grow over the face of Earth, as well as in the depths of the seas that surround us. Help us to be faithful stewards of life on this planet, to protect and conserve our environment from pollution, abuse, and overuse. Next, we pray for peace and thanksgiving on our planet. Forgive our greed and lust for power that lead to wars among us. So today we pray for the people of Ukraine, for their protection from invading armies, for their homeland that is being decimated by enemy bombs, for the children and the elderly folks who are most vulnerable for those who fight to maintain their homeland. We pray for them all, and we thank you for countries such as Poland who are sheltering the refugees and providing for their needs. And may they all know peace, maybe not as the world gives, but the peace that only Jesus the Christ can truly give. Likewise, we pray for the wars of violence in our city streets and homes, 
that they will come to an end. Oh Lord, it must break your heart to see such young people gunned down deliberately and even randomly. Thank you for soul shots that remind us of the faces of victims so that they are not just statistics on the evening news, but beautiful and handsome people gone too soon. Almighty and merciful God, we pray for those who are ill in body or in mind. You sent Jesus Christ to heal broken lives, and we praise you that today you send healing in doctors and nurses and bless us with technology in medicine. We claim your promises of wholeness as we pray for those who are ill, who long for your healing touch. Make the weak strong, the sick healthy, the broken whole, and confirm those who serve them as agents of your love. Then all shall be renewed in vigor to point to the risen Christ who conquered death that we might live eternally. Finally, we pray for us ordinary folks in an extraordinary time who struggle in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, and our play to put one foot in front of the other many days of our lives. God, bless our ordinariness and give us your grace that we may continue to dream dreams and see possibilities that give us hope and encouragement to make it through yet another ordinary day. Now hear us, Lord, as we pray the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
the cultivation of figs is hard work. But as I said, Jesus never said his yoke is nothing and his burden is nil. So when you pass the fig tree, consider what you need to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love. Amen.